We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Entering the Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience 2020 Fantasy Football DraftKings Picks. Early look, week one. We're also going to go over some news and notes, plus the new DraftKings Best Ball product. Tell you a little bit about that because I have someone on the line who's played a bunch of these DraftKings Best Ball drafts so far. You can go check that out right now. Remember, everyone out there, if you don't care about, like if you're watching this after the fact, because it's you know, week one DraftKings picks, this is probably good information. I mean, it's probably not good information, but the information will last at least for another two weeks or so. We're going to go over some news and notes off the very top. I always suggest hitting the time codes because when we talk about Miles Sanders, for example, maybe Miles Sanders' update has changed like a week from now, and then you probably don't want to fucking hear about that anymore. So just go like straight to the running backs or the quarterbacks as we talk about week one DraftKings. If that is what you're here for, remember, smash like button for the video in the comment section tell me the most mispriced player for week one on DraftKings. that could be too high too low if it's just right obviously that does not qualify also subscribe to the pat mayo experience audio podcast leave a five-star review if you are on apple podcast or if you use the desktop version of stitcher you can also leave a five-star review doing it that way too not sure why you can't do it in the app and only the desktop but hey it's a question for stitcher not for me Also, if you want extended fantasy football coverage from the Pat Mayo experience, which if you're already watching this, you're going to want to see that because football season's coming. We're going to have like seven shows a week with that. We're going to have the golf show. We're going to have the UFC show. That will be migrating off of the DraftKings YouTube channel very shortly in the description of this video and podcast, which you can do to go help me out. Go subscribe to the Mayo Media Network right now. There are no videos up there as we speak at this moment, but there will be very soon, including the Pat Mayo experience. So if you don't want to be like, hey, where did Pat's show go? It's going to be over there. So please go subscribe now so you get those notifications right away when videos start popping up. would really appreciate that. would go a long way into helping out the traditional trajectory of this show. Joining me on the line from EstablishedTheRun.com, the first time he has been on the line, or at least face-to-face video style, since he has joined EstablishedTheRun.com. It's Mike Leone. What's up? Hey, Mayo. Thanks for having me on. It's been too long since we've done this, so I'm excited to get back on the show. In full disclosure, we already recorded this show, but I didn't <laughs> record your audio a week ago. So now we're just re-upping on it again. At least we like because we when we first did it, it was an actual first look at pricing. Like I actually hadn't looked at the pricing yet, and neither had you. And now like we're we're kind of into it. So maybe opinions have changed from a week. We got the trial run out of the way. We got the Jalen Hurd injury jinx talk out of the way. Now we're now we're really prepped. All right, so what I want to do to kick this off is actually run through some news and notes. I released a news and notes and injury transaction training camp show with adjusted fantasy rankings with Jake Seeley on Wednesday. You can find that in the description of the video and podcast or just hit either the audio feed or the video feed. And I think we hit on 31 
news notes. So just just rapid fire through everything, how that affects fantasy. But there's been more news that has come out since. But the biggest one on the board is Miles Sanders is dealing with a, quote, lower body injury. Sounds like a calf injury uh, just with the way that his leg is wrapped up as he observes practice from the sidelines at least that's what twitter doctors tell me i don't fucking know but it sounds like he's going to be ready for week one does this give you any pause like both using him week one on DraftKings if he hasn't practiced or even drafting him in season long or in best ball my initial reaction was you know this is just something they're approaching very conservatively there's no reason to push it there's no preseason games even if it was he'd probably sit them out as I think about it a little bit more, you know, maybe at the back end of round one, if I'm in a DraftKings best ball league, I might wait to see if Sanders slips to two with a lot of options there. But for the most part, it doesn't seem too concerning. Now, my updated rankings with the injury are up on DK Nation in the description of the video. Everything's in the fucking description of the video. Like the entire free draft kit is down there. I mean, most people don't click on the description, but that's literally where you can find everything for football for 2020. There's already like... 30 shows out or something like that. It feels like I'm not doing a ton of football. Then I went and looked at the list like, yeah, we really talked about this a lot. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury says that Chase Edmonds is already a starting running back in the NFL. So I love Kenyon Drake this year. I also have been drafting Chase Edmonds late because I think that he might have a role. Do you think that hype for Chase Edmonds or his role in particular in this Cardinals offense has a detrimental effect to Kenyon Drake to the point where you wouldn't take him highly? Not really. I expect this offense to run at a much faster pace than they did last year. I expect them to throw the ball more often and to throw to the running backs a little bit more frequently. So I think you always expected a second running back to be mixed in a little bit, even when Drake was going off last year, you know, at times they mixed in David Johnson limping around with that bad back. So, uh, and Chase Edmonds was in there a little bit towards the end of the season. So I think it's fine. It's more that I'm interested in Chase Edmonds late that I know he's clearly the number two because earlier in the offseason you know there was some rapport that cliff kingsbury had in the past with eno benjamin in college and you're wondering if eno benjamin could leapfrog him and now you don't really have those concerns so i'm not it's i'm more optimistic about chase edmonds than i am pessimistic about kenyan drake on hearing that uh quadre olison is getting like more run as the second running back for the atlanta falcons the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Gurley's been banged up already. We don't know what his status is really going to be as a full-time running back. I would think that he's, you sign him to the one-year deal, you run him till he can't run anymore. You just give him the ball over and over. It's a fantastic fantasy situation. But if you were later in drafts, we just talked about Edmonds. Obviously, Damian Harris is one of these guys. Latavius Murray, Alexander Madison, the backups who could just be thrust into this role, which is especially fantasy valuable. Would Quadre Olison move up that list knowing that he's probably past Brian Hill or Judge Ito at this point? I don't know if he has the pass catching ability. What worries me with some of these handcuff type backs is when you're drafting an actual handcuff, you want to be certain that if things break right, they're going to have this huge amount of upside. They're going to see the role they need. And I'm worried what would happen is if Todd Gurley went down, Olison might see some of the goal line carries, some of the carries between the twenties, but the pass down work would still either go to Brian Hill or judge Ito. But I do have to shout out Olison, a Canisius high school graduate where I went. You and Quadre went to the same high school. We did not the same years. You know, one of us is a little bit older, but the same high school. So he's a resident of Buffalo, New York. I don't, I don't, there was some recruit. I don't, I don't know exactly. (laughs) I don't think he's from Buffalo originally. I thought he was from Canada actually, but I, that could be wrong. I feel like if he was, Um, if he was from Canada, they would have mentioned that on Canadian sports center and I would have seen it. Probably. I just remember our high school had a phase where we got a really good, large amount of good football players from Canada to come to our high school. I mean, it makes sense. Southern Ontario has a lot of good football players and a lot of these schools play like four down football and play Canadian rules because the goal is to go and play in the States and college somewhere. So that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, the 49ers just signed Jaron Brown, a.k.a. fake John Brown. So no longer on the Seahawks. He's now on the 49ers. Uh, they signed Tavon Austin. They signed J.J. Nelson. So, I mean, former like Arizona receivers, like if this is like you're, you're just on the free agent market, San Francisco is going to sign you. So I know your guy, Evan Silva, is big up on Ayuk 
for the first part of the season until Debo Samuel comes back. Like the fact that they're signing so many of these guys, plus you still have Kendrick Bourne. Uh, Jalen Hurd just went down, but like Dante Pettis is still there. Yet they continue to add receivers to this roster. Leads me to believe that Ayuk might not be very good. I think you're reading into that too much. I mean, they need to fill up the depth. Pettis was an absolute corpse last year. So they need to bring in people to compete at the back end of the roster. Debo obviously hurt. Jalen hurt, hurt. I'm not overthinking it. I think Ayuk from day one is going to be a really productive player. And what I like about the receivers in San Francisco is they don't necessarily need a ton of volume. We saw this with Debo last year because Kyle Shanahan is so creative at getting them the ball in space. And Ayuk's someone that can you know, take a screen pass to the house. I think they're going to create and manufacture enough opportunities for him that the floor there is pretty good, even if you don't think this offense passes a whole lot. Yeah, I don't like Ayuk at all. I think this is just like, oh, yeah, let's uh, let's say we know that Debo is good. Ayuk's probably just as good, which is not true, uh, at least in my mind. And you go to Notre Dame, you're probably not very good. Come on now. People need to give their head a shake on that one. It's just going to be more Kittle and probably like more Trent Taylor. Uh, and then they're going to try to run the ball 8,000 times a game. Kittle, his target rate last year per snap, I think it was 31% of routes run or something. Pat Crane wrote an article for us on established to run link early tight ends to target and to fade and really positive signs for Kittle especially if they throw a little bit more and you've got the Debo injury, it's condensed a little bit more his way. The ceiling's absurd for kill. You can make an argument for him over Kelsey in drafts this year. You can make the argument, but I think if you just look at consistency and what you expect to get from that position, there's just more variance with Kittle, whether it be good or whether it be bad. I just feel like week to week, he doesn't bring this, like what is Kittle, where does Kelsey been now? The number one tight end for four consecutive years. And that brings us I to mean, our- that brings us to our next point, because this just happened. I'm seeing it pop across my screen. Tyreek Hill leaves practice with a hamstring injury. McCole um, Hardman wheels up, and people just sleep on Sammy. I know he's the boring pick of him he, and Hardman. He, but He also hasn't been practicing at all, because he's also hurt. Well, that's just to be expected with Sammy, so... <laughs> I get, so it hasn't even been on my radar. That's just business as usual check. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on that for sure, because that's the whole thesis behind drafting McCall Hardman, where he's been going is obviously he's not going to provide much value if he doesn't step into a larger role and he's going over guys that have more immediate value. But if something happens to Tyreek Hill, if you leave frogs, Sammy Watkins in the pecking order, one of the most pass happy teams. People don't realize how pass happy Kansas city is relative to game script. They've been two of the pass happiest offenses the last two seasons. Uh, since, you know, the last 20 years, it's the stats that I looked at. And, uh, obviously you're playing with Patrick Mahomes, so your efficiency and your downfield ability is going to be through the roof. So if you were drafting before we knew the extent of this, like I don't like to hear hamstring already, maybe it's nothing. And maybe, you know, by the time that people consume this, all is good with Tyree kill. Cause it's coming out. We're filming this in the afternoon. It's coming out tomorrow morning. Stuff changes overnight all the time. It's like, if we have missed some news, it's because it happened after we recorded and you know, it's, three weeks before the season starts. Not that big of a deal. We don't need to do an update here. Uh, you can just check out the updated rankings and that will be reflected in there. But with Tyreek Hill, I have him at wide receiver number four, number five. He's inside the top five for me. He's a second round pick is where I have him right now. Would this give you hesitation in drafting him at the moment if you were just blindly doing it this weekend? Probably without clarity. The opportunity cost where he goes and drafts is so high. I love Tyreek Hill from a fantasy perspective. I have him a viable target right there at the turn at one, two. I have him wide receiver three, him and Julio, uh, you know, and that second tier behind Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams. But you know, there's so much opportunity cost there. I mean, you could just take Kelsey, you know, then you it's the arbitrage play there where if Tyreek Hill's hurt, you pick up some extra ceiling equity for Kelsey. And if Tyreek Hill is fine, well, you've locked an elite tight end and you're fine. So if he was falling, I, I mean, I haven't seen what the injury report is. So as of right now, I'd probably as a tiebreaker use it to not draft him. But if he fell much further than that, I don't think I'd be too concerned unless we see a more serious update. He was able to walk off on his own volition from the field. So he was able to walk off with that. But uh, the guy heals pretty quickly. Remember when he like broke his collarbone? It's like, oh, he's done. Then all of a sudden he was back like four weeks later. 
Yeah, and when he was going to get suspended and wasn't suspended, so he's dodged some bullets. All right, let's talk about DraftKings week one. I know that you and Adam Levitan over at Establish the Run had been looking at the winners in like the top 10 placers in the DraftKings Millionaire Maker and looking at the different combinations of players, salary cap, percentage owned, that kind of thing, to try to find some trends over the past few years. I think that's important information to have when you're constructing lineups to beat 200,000 people every single week. Like There has to be something about your lineup that is distinctly different if you want to win the million bucks. What were some of the just the kind of point by point things that you notice like right away like wow that's strange or that makes a lot of sense the major things one was stacking you know still not enough people stack in a tournament where you need the correlation i was surprised that super big heavy game stacks weren't that prevalent in top 10 lineups and i thought maybe those would be a good leverage spot but so you think about it, when you have to win a tournament of that size, you need so many guys to hit their pure ceiling in your lineup, which is different than a smaller field tournament. And each player you add to a stack, it might be more correlated with them doing well, but it's probably less correlated with them hitting their 99th percentile ceiling because three receivers on the same team aren't all going to go for 100 yards and two touchdowns. So the primary stack that we saw that had the most leverage was a quarterback with two pass catchers one wide receiver and one tight end had a little extra leverage, but even a running back could be in there if it's a pass catching running back and then a receiver on the other team coming back. So that seems a little bit obvious. Uh, one of the things I was surprised at at running back, you really don't have to be too contrarian there because the volume separates those top running backs so much from the other running backs that it's hard to make up for that with big plays and whatnot at the position. So a lot of times these cheap running backs that might have a good baseline of value, you know, they're cheap pass catchers. They might get there. You know, they might be fine as far as a median projection, but the true ceiling comes from the huge volume and you're fine taking chalky guys. If the volume diversified volume in the run game, the pass game and the goal line is going to be there where you really want to deviate from your opponents is with the pass catchers and defense is such a total crapshoot that you should always be contrarian there. Well, let's talk about the running backs for week one. So I, I like what you said about playing the chalk running backs because I am very guilty of outsmarting myself. I mean, I'm not really outsmarting myself. I'm making bad picks, but like, like, Oh, Chris Thompson, like they're going to be down a bunch in this game this is when he played for Washington. You're like, down a bunch in this game. He could potentially have like six catches here. And like he hit a ceiling game once ever. And I'm like, well, you could probably do that. I mean, that's a ceiling. That's what I'm going for here. And then he ends up with like three catches for 39 yards and that's it. And like, he's an absolute disaster. Like, oh yeah, but he was good value because he was, he look, he had nine fantasy points. He was only 3000 bucks. Like that's not doing it for me when I'm trying to win these big tournaments that I might just kind of make a rule this year for myself that I will eat whatever chalk comes in almost said comes in my face, but yeah, maybe if it comes in my face, um, that I'm just, <laughs> just going to take the chalky, not the chalkiest running backs, but I'm just not going to worry about ownership at running back whatsoever. The only thing I'm going to focus on is volume. And if I, there's six running backs on the slate who I have projected to play more than 75% of their team snaps, just play those guys. Is that like simplified yeah. enough? Volume and ceiling is what you want. And you can save money at receiver, and, and the other positions. That was the other thing was people definitely spent more at running backs in the other positions. And that's for the same reason why the chalk running backs hit the expensive running backs hit and they kind of go hand in hand. Now, if you disagree with the chalk, that's fine. You have to take each week by itself. If you think Christian McCaffrey is not the best play because you think there's three mid-tier running backs that do have that diversified volume and that huge ceiling, that's okay. It's more don't talk yourself out of a guy purely for game theory reasons and don't talk yourself into a cheap running back that just can't get it done. You know, there are just some guys where it feels like you, they're just drawing dead from the get go or they're the outs that you have for them hitting this true ceiling that's needed to win a million maker contest are so slim. Well, that's going to be the case in week one. So on DraftKings, Christian McCaffrey is the most expensive running back. And this is for the main slate. So obviously the Monday night games, the Thursday night games are not included in this. If you're new to DraftKings, because I always get this, like three or four people ask me all the time, like, what about Patrick Mahomes? You did not even talk about him. It's like, well, he's not on the millionaire maker slate, man. I don't know what the fuck I can tell you. Figure it out. So I'm telling you right now, this is what we're talking about. Main slate. McCaffrey is $2,100 more than Dalvin Cook. So this is going to be a decision that you have to make in week one. Like, do you spend up all your money 
pay for Christian McCaffrey and figure out the rest from there? Or do you take this more balanced approach that you talk about? Because Christian McCaffrey's going to be Christian McCaffrey's going to be chalky regardless. He's the best player in fantasy. Uh, and like I said, there's no Zeke on this slate. There's no Saquon Barkley on this slate. There is Alvin Kamara, but still, like if you think about those three guys, those are the guys. Is Christian McCaffrey that much better than the rest of the pack? Like at least your initial thoughts on it. Do you think you'll that you would be using him? I feel like I've changed my tune a little bit since the first time we attempted to record this, where I really wanted to focus on the balanced upside at the position. You, know, you mentioned Atlanta, you would expect them to run Todd Gurley into the ground. It's a one-year deal. I kind of feel similarly. So I feel like, you know, strike at the beginning of the season with him, he's in the 6k range that Kenyon Drake, like in the 6k range, but now, you know, maybe you've got some shakiness with Miles Sanders, what's going on there. And just as I build some more rosters, you know, there's receivers that are so balanced that it really doesn't cost you meaningful upside there to fit McCaffrey in. So I've come full circle and I think McCaffrey's the right chalk. You're talking eight to 10 targets plus goal line carries, you know, plus an overall 15 carries. You know, it just very rarely goes bad for Christian McCaffrey because the volume is so absurd. And maybe there's a little bit of concern with them having a new coaching staff adding Robbie Anderson, and he doesn't get, you know, maybe instead of playing 99% of snaps like he did last year, he plays 89% of snaps. But week one, there's going to be enough pricing and efficiencies that arise that, you know, McCaffrey is going to be the default way to build. And I'm reluctantly on board because it's so boring, but it's probably the correct way to go. Yeah. Just looking at the next few guys down the list, you have like Cook, Kamara, Eckler, and Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs. Of those guys, like, I don't know what the split is going to be for Aaron Jones because, I mean, the entire internet is all abuzz about A.J. Dillon's quads and then, like, Jamal Williams will somehow find his way onto the field. They're, like, using Tyler Irvin. They will want to use him as, like, a gadget player that I don't know if he's going to admit... He's a good player. He's probably a good play if he can score, but I just don't know about the volume attached with him. I feel the same way about Eckler. I just don't know what the Chargers are doing. He could have 85% of the touches, but he might not. He might have 55% of the touches. And I think going into it, yes, those guys will be down in terms of ownership because there is an unknown about them. And after the first two weeks, you'll be like, oh, that was stupid not playing those guys at that price because they get all the touches. But going into week one, I feel like you have to be somewhat hesitant about like the those few guys in particular, and someone like Josh Jacobs, that you can project out what he does in the receiving game all you want. I've still yet to see it. So until I see it, just not going to believe it. There's definitely something too when DFS playing your season long hunches early before the field catches up. So I'm with you. I'm not on Josh Jacobs catching the ball. They have so many guys there. They have to feed targets to. They drafted Lynn Bowden, made him a running back. I expect him to see more targets than Josh Jacobs, quite frankly. But let's say you do believe it. Don't wait until week three to smash Josh Jacobs when everyone knows he's seeing targets in the passing game and you've given away your edge. Play it early. And they DraftKings did price these second-tier running backs with enough of a gap from McCaffrey that it's at least interesting where you could say, well, I could take three six to seven K running backs. And, you know, if you count your flex in that, and as long as McCaffrey doesn't go for over 30, I can survive it. And these guys have huge ceilings of those guys. You mentioned, I like Aaron Jones the most where I think ownership will probably be deflated just because people are worried. And he's got that huge touchdown upside, which can win you tournaments, even if it's not a crazy passing down role. I share the same concerns with you in regards to Austin Eckler. I think the Chargers are going to slow down their pace this year. There might be more of a split in the backfield than we expect. Tyrod Taylor is not going to throw the ball as often. He's not going to throw it as often to running backs as a percentage of targets either. So uh, I would go Jacobs of those guys if you were rolling the dice in tournaments. Yeah, see, I would even... Or I, uh, Jones, you mean. I, Oh, I'm sorry. Aaron Jones. Yeah. Now I would take Aaron Jones over Josh Jacobs for the sub seven K guys. Really. I, I like Camara at 7,200 though. A whole bunch. I think that's uh, you know, a phenomenal price tag on him. And if I was building cash right away, it'd probably be McCaffrey and Camara. Do, do you think that Dalvin cook gets squeezed here just because cook and Camara, like if you do a season long draft or a best ball draft, Kamara is going ahead of Dalvin Cook right now. Contract negotiations have broke off with Dalvin Cook, and he's focusing on week one. So it looks like there's not going to be a problem there in terms of his availability, in terms of his workload. We know that Madison's going to get a quote-unquote split 
in this backfield, but it's not like a meaningful split that actually takes away from Dalvin Cook. It's just they like to run the ball a lot and they don't want to give Cook 45 carries a game. They, they can afford to give Madison eight or 10 or whatever it is and not take away from Cook. So I'm looking at it. People will want to play McCaffrey and people will say, huh, I'm drafting Kamara over Cook anyway. He's $700 cheaper. I'll just use Kamara. Does that mean Dalvin Cook could be the guy that gets sandwiched out of people's lineups? Which if we talk about guys that get all the volume, he gets all the volume. Yeah, I do think you're right that that's going to be the process for most players as we see it now. And sometimes things that don't impact DFS or shouldn't impact DFS impact people's psychology. So the whole holdout and everything. And if you're a little bit down on him on season long because you're worried about the risk of that, you know, that really shouldn't impact DFS week one unless he hasn't been practicing, which he is practicing. So we don't have to worry about it. But in terms of the psychology of people making selections, I think it does impact them and his ownership does get squeezed. Uh, just It's really hard to make him work with McCaffrey too. Like those $700 make a big difference. So that also adds to him being squeezed where people might jam Kamara and McCaffrey, but it's gonna be a lot harder to jam Cook and McCaffrey. So we kind of like, you like said, do you like Gurley? Uh, Sanders is kind of a wait and see, but his ownership could get deflated if we don't know what his status is before week one. Then all of a sudden he's the Miles Sanders he was projected to be, and he's the best price of any running back on this entire slate. That wouldn't surprise me. Carson hasn't been around practice, but he's scheduled to return. He's still the guy in Seattle. I still like Kenyon Drake. Just keep talking about Chase Edmonds a lot that I can use Kenyon Drake in week one, and I'll be pretty good with that. He's eaten up San Francisco, at least in both games last year and you need to know the playbook then then once you get below six thousand, it gets super dicey quickly i'd say that fournette and montgomery are really the only two like volume people that you can go with maybe Le'Veon bell but they're already adam case is like you know who we need more of frank gore and it's just like oh you, you kidding me with this so maybe bell but other than that i don't know who the volume guy is i don't see one i don't either you know bell is the pure volume guy but just a really difficult matchup. We don't know if they're going to spell him a little bit more than they have in the past. You know, Mostert's expensive. That's going to be a split. You really have to just run so pure on efficiency and touchdowns there. The, the Indianapolis Colts situation, you know, if these guys were priced sub 5K, maybe you'd take a stab at Jonathan Taylor emerging from day one. But at 5,700, I don't know if you can afford to do that. So it's a very difficult position to go cheap on. Uh, there aren't many guys that I think you're messing around with at all. And especially in that five plus K range, it seems like if you were rolling the dice, you'd go cheaper than that. And given how we started off the show, well, you probably don't want to go cheaper than that, at least in a large field tournament, because the absolute true ceiling you need just isn't there. Well, there are a few guys that could get there just based on how some of these injuries break out, whether they win a role or not, like the Washington football's backfield, like Adrian Peterson's 4,500 bucks. He might play 85% of the snaps week one. <laughs> uh, Gibson's 4K too. That's yeah. going to be tough to project though. Like, would you, I, it's, it seems like Gibson would be a better role of the dice because we know that he'll likely be involved in the receiving game as well. That if he can cobble together 15 touches, which does seem within the realm of possibility in that backfield, but six of them come as basically just if he's projected to be a mini Christian McCaffrey and that's kind of his role, then that would be something where I'm trying to project volume that may or may not be there, but it may be there, but you're getting a really good price on it. Yeah. At least there's a chance it could be there, you know, where some of these pure cheap guys, you just know there's no growth there and you're just hoping on a huge efficiency uh, I guess I throw Tevin Coleman in that range, though, where, you know, most 5,900, Tevin Coleman's yeah, 4,200. What, what about Jarek? Uh, he's he's, like going, I, he's I, going to get touches. Yeah, he's going to get, and he's probably going to get the pass volume, which, you know, will hurt Tevin. I'm just thinking, you know, if that game goes, I don't think that game goes according to Vegas. Like, I think that could be a little bit more of a shootout game, a little bit of a closer game than people might think than the early line indicates. But that game does blow out in San Francisco's favor and they just run the ball a ton. I'd rather have Tevin Coleman at 4,200 than Mostert at 5,900. I can and see just, that. I can see that. But where I'm using Drake, but, I do think that it's going to be a somewhat competitive game. So that's not where I would be leaning with it. And both those games, yeah. both the games they played last year, I believe went like well over. I guess I just like, I could see 
there are scenarios where San Francisco most efficient, one of the most efficient run games in the league just runs a ton and a few guys can get there. Those are the exception, not the rule. Like Zach Moss, AJ Dillon, like these guys have upside ceiling for season long, but week one, I mean, you're just asking a whole lot for those guys to get in the optimal lineup. The floor is so low, you know, even a carry on Johnson type, who is probably gonna be a starter week one, you know, but if Swift takes some high leverage touches there, I don't know. I, I just, I don't like this range too much. I like, like, yeah, I, I think you hit on a good one. Like Keyshawn or carry on Johnson versus Deandre Swift. Like if there is news about one of these guys is going to be the guy, I wouldn't believe it. Cause I just don't think that's how Detroit's backfield operates. They're both sub $5,000. If there's a clear winner between Keyshawn Vaughn and Ronald Jones, then all of a sudden a bit of the pricing opens up a little bit. That Washington situation that we talked about, there was one more. Oh, the new England backfield, like James White's going to be priced up. He's going to have his role, but if Sony Michelle is out week one and it, by all accounts, they're leaning towards, Damian Harris like he's 4,300 bucks against Miami there's seven point favorites in that game if that's a game where they're going to run the ball and Cam I think should help their run game I know the offensive line is a bit deteriorated but just having Cam and his mobility will open up running lanes if they can just turn around and hand the ball to him 20 times like that's a good good deal at 4,300 bucks yeah I I'd have to read the tea leaves and get the beat reports come week one I feel like Rex Burkhead will still be involved and mess things up and the thing about Burkhead that's annoying in that backfield is even if he doesn't play a ton he will see the high leverage touches at times like we've seen times where he's got a few targets he's got some goal line carries he doesn't play a ton but all of a sudden you look at the fantasy scoring and he's right there with the backs that played you know two or three times the snaps that he's played. So that's my concern with Damian Harris is, you know, I, I don't think I'm taking a guy in a three headed monster week one, when I know there's going to be some pricey pricing efficiencies elsewhere. I, I don't think week one is the time to try that when we get into week five, six, and you get some running back injuries up top, you get some bye weeks and what you need to happen to win a tournament. There's more paths to a running back squeaking by that doesn't have this elite volume, but week one, when we know some roles before guys get hurt, you're, you're just really going to need a huge performance. I don't see it out of Damian Harris. If we look at projecting out the season, because I had this discussion in baseball where I just wanted to bet the biggest dogs in every division and someone like the Orioles paying like 125 to one or the Tigers paying 250 to one to just be better than four other teams in a 60 game COVID induced weird rule baseball season with no fans. Like, Weird stuff was going to happen. We've seen weird stuff happen in basketball. We've seen weird stuff happen in baseball. I know you can't predict what the weirdness is going to be for football when it comes down to it, but should you try to embrace some of this variance by taking guys not necessarily outside of the box like, oh, this guy wasn't projected to start, but because of this weird situation that we're in, like all of a sudden, I, I think he's going to start. I'm not talking about that, but like guys that we don't think are as good or teams that we don't think are as good just might be really good under these weird circumstances. I think it's harder for teams to be really good. You know, the comparison to baseball, baseball, there's so much variance in a single game and the margin between a good team. I mean, the good teams over 160 game season win, you know, 90 games and the bad teams win 60 games, you know, so they're still winning a ton of games. Football, there's a little bit more edge on a weekly basis that I don't know so much for teams, but I do think if you are doing season-long drafts, if you want to embrace the chaos of a COVID season, you know, perfect time for zero running back, especially with people freaking out and drafting running backs like crazy early, or just in general, really bet on talent and say, okay, roles are more uncertain than they've ever been in terms of projecting volume because a guy could catch COVID, be out for a few weeks, you know, what have you. And as a result, I'm going to push guys that I think are skilled, guys who I like long-term, I'm going to place a priority on, even if the short-term outlook in terms of volume might be a little bit tougher to navigate. I'm just looking at division winners right now because overall, year to year, the NFL shifts so quickly. Good teams become bad teams, bad teams become good teams. And that, trying to figure out who are those teams is really the key to betting futures or investing in teams. But I'm just looking at some of these underdogs for the division. Like, why not the Jets? I know the Jags suck. Like, they're really bad. They're 22 to 1 to win the South. Like, weirder things have happened than that. Maybe Minshew's actually good. 
Maybe Philip Rivers yeah. gets hurt or he's decrepit. Maybe Deshaun Watson gets hurt. Like there's so many weird variables that can go on that I think in this in this type of season where we don't know a lot of how this is going to play out, how no fans affect anyone, how you mentioned like if someone gets COVID-19, are they out for I read that yesterday it was like 90 days or something like that they have to be out. I uh- I didn't hear that. That seems excessive, but I, I, I guess we'll find there. We are entering an unknown. You know, we haven't experienced this before. We've seen it in other sports, but football not being in a bubble, there's definitely an added element of variance. I did like the Dolphins before the year to win the division, but their odds have actually come down to plus 800 on the DK Sportsbook. I think they were more like plus a thousand to start the year. So I think some of these teams that are, you know, a Dolphins team, for example, that's younger, I think going in the right direction that just need a few things to bounce their way to change things dramatically. That's where I'd focus on. I don't know if the huge long shots make sense as much as they would in baseball. Again, just coming back to that variance point where, um, well, how like baseball, how, got- how about this one? The Bengals 25 to one to win their division. So let's say Lamar gets hurt. And now they're starting Robert Griffin or he gets COVID and he's out for four weeks. So the Ravens are not the Ravens and the Ravens probably aren't going to be the Ravens from last year that were utterly dominant. That's just hard to replicate year over year. You look at the Steelers, they're plus 350 to win that division. All the reports are that Ben's going fine. He's got some zip, but maybe he sucks. Maybe he's just washed up because he's like close to 40. And then you have the Browns who the fuck knows with them. And then you have the Bengals with the number one pick. Maybe Burrow is awesome. Maybe in year two under all the under the new scheme uh, with Zach Taylor that all of a sudden like they're just good like a 25 to one to be better than three other teams in football almost no matter how bad you are and this is a lot Lamar influence but if Lamar just kind of goes away or substandard or regresses whatsoever like that division's wide open. Yeah I think I like that more than the Jacksonville bat just because as you said, you know, one if one thing happens to Baltimore, the odds already shift dramatically. Whereas Jacksonville, it's more spread out who they're competing in the division for. So if something happens to the Colts, obviously Jags odds are going to be a lot better, but it's not going to be one thing that totally shifts the odds. Whereas in the Bengals division, something happens to Baltimore in terms of COVID or something just happens to Lamar it does completely shift the odds. And then the other aspect that you hit on, what if Burrow is just awesome from day one? And that totally, you know, you get an elite quarterback, it totally shifts what happens with your football team. So I like that better than the Jags, but you could coerce me into that a little bit more. Um, But I I just don't see the comparison to baseball as much because of the, the structure of the games. Yeah, I guess if it was like an eight game season or something like that, you could kind of talk yourself into it if people had an easy strength of schedule. But I think I'm going to make that. It's on DraftKings Sportsbook right now, 25 to one Bengals to win the AFC North. Don't I'm not expecting it to win, but I think that the that the true odds for that are probably 15, maybe 12 to one, something like that. Because I like the Dolphins too. And eight to one is kind of intriguing to me, but like you said, it's probably plus a thousand, plus twelve hundred, that kind of thing. Yep. Because I got I got news for you, man. I don't think the Bills are going to be very good. <laughs> I mean, it rides on their quarterback, really. Ah, they also played a super easy schedule last year. It's a bit tougher this time around. I don't think the Patriots are as washed as everyone seems to believe that they are. Like. I don't know, like a lot broke right for them last year, especially their defense being like attacking and being really good. Like great defense is really hard to replicate year over year. Great offenses tend to translate, mm-hmm. but a great defense is super tough. That's a very good point. And I think translates to DFS week one where people will play matchups too much early in the season when we just don't know what's going to happen. But I think the Bills are a really well-rounded team, you know, good offensive line, like They've gotten to the point where they have good skill players. I like their coach, good defense. You know, I don't think they go bad, but I do agree. Probably more things ran well for them than people are willing to acknowledge uh, last year and really the last three years in general for them. I'm just surprised. And that was one of the main reasons, like the Dolphins as a long shot, or if you like the Jets, which I don't, uh, who could be the worst team in the league and then draft a real quarterback starting next year, get get Trevor Lawrence, tank for Trevi. But the Dolphins, the only reason I like them, not because I love the Dolphins. I did like their gumption last year. I think they're also well coached. It's just, I don't have a ton of belief in the Bills and the Patriots could be bad. They could be really good, but they also could be bad. Like the Bills being the favorite to win this division just seems crazy to me. Maybe it's just because I'm not used to seeing Buffalo number one in a division. I do like, I think I bet with Davis Maddock, I have the Jets 
or I have the Dolphins plus one and a half wins against the Jets. And now the Dolphins are actually have better odds than the Jets to win the division. So I'm no, da- pretty good about Davis made a on that. Davis made a bad bet. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk these receivers for the week one slate. Uh, it's Michael Thomas and then the rest. He is $1,300 more than Julio. Devontae Adams got dinged up in practice, but he should be okay for week one. He's 73. Then it's Godwin at 71. Then Mike Evans. I think if you're really going to start and you want to pay up, quote unquote, it would be Devontae Adams at 7300 bucks if he's healthy. I just think that he is the second best receiver in fantasy football. I think that he's somewhat close to Michael Thomas. When you look at receptions per game, you look at market share per game, he's really close to Michael Thomas. Uh, And he has no one really to take the ball away from him in that offense unless they decide to run 85 times a game, which I don't think they do. So I think he's underpriced relative to the very top end guys. After that, I'd probably go to Adam Thielen at 6,700. Still expensive, but I think he's on that next level up. But besides that, like I think the move is probably... Chark at 63, McLaurin in the fives, depending on like Landry status. Like if Landry is out, just take Beckham at 59. I think there are just enough guys in this $5,000 area that you don't need to go to the top. Use that money for running backs. Yeah, I'm with you. I totally agree. Devontae Adams is much closer to Michael Thomas than he is to the second tier of wide receivers. So that's a mispricing, whether you can fit it in. If you're playing Christian McCaffrey, it gets a little bit tougher to do. Uh, Might be one reason to fade McCaffrey, but in general, you can go cheaper at wide receiver because the guys that you're mentioning in the five, six K range on any given week, they can easily outscore the other receivers. You know, receivers aren't seeing the same volume touches that running backs do. So when we say go chalky at running back, it's because the volume's so predictable that, you know, the upside's a bit more predictable receiver. There's much more variance, a lot more bigger plays, less total volume to go around in that six K range. You know, that DK Metcalf, Calvin Ridley in the game in Atlanta to get Metcalf at 5,800, Ridley at 6,100. That seems absurd. You've got Kenny Galladay at 6,200. I mean, you're just absolutely loaded uh, with mid-tier wide receivers. It sort of reflects the way I like to approach season-long drafts, which is, you know, get your stud running back early and then rounds three through six, you're just hammering these receivers. These are the same receivers that are priced in the 5K, 6K range. McLaurin's at 5,600. I mean, huge upside there uh, in a game where they're probably going to have to throw a lot, you know, playing a good Philly team. So Marquise Brown, 5,100 is going to be very chalky, I bet. So Uh, I'm good on, I'm good on passing on Hollywood Brown. I just like he is, when you talk about the, everything has to go right efficiency wise for Raheem Mostert to really break the slate for you. Everything just has to go right for Marquise Brown as well. Now he can do it. He is a hyper-efficient long play type of receiver, but he can also just give you like two points. Yeah. I think the targets for him come way up though. So the variance on him might not be as high this year, you know, just, given his second year, he had some health issues last year. Uh, you know, there's some vacated target share that he can take. So I'm a little bit more optimistic than you, but I will say I would not be surprised if he is the highest owned receiver week one. Uh, I'm just looking at that 5k range. I'm with you on Metcalf. I think that's a great play. I think T.Y. Hilton's a really great play too at 5,800 bucks, presuming his health. We don't know who the second competitor is going to be. When we talk about cheap receivers, maybe you want to get some Paris Cambu in your life, or maybe it's Zach Pascal. They have a lot of guys who sound like they're French on their team. Maybe you just go with Michael Pittman. Sounds very American. Probably pretty good at football, not like the French people. Uh, but like Marvin Jones, 5,500 bucks. Like that's Jamison Crowder against Buffalo. I think week one last year, he had like 12 catches against Buffalo. And like he's the guy there. Everyone at like Mimsy is already hurt. Like all their guys are hurt besides Perriman. <laughs> yeah. And you think that Sam Franny Arizona, I know you're not on Ayuk, but 4,500 is going to be an appealing price tag, assuming we have some depth chart confidence on him going into week one. That same game, you know, Christian Kirk is a straight line pivot off Marquise Brown, is going to be owned way less than Marquise Brown. And if you think Arizona runs faster pace, throws more often than they did last year, there's some pros and cons to that. But Kirk is... I don't think people are going to play him with all these other options on the board. Uh, I guess you could think about the Washington number two situation. It seems like it's coming down to get this Dontrell Inman and Steve Sims Jr. Inman, the in man right now. I know. I, 
I have to add Inman to my stuff because I didn't even have him <laughs> factored in he's, there. He, he's 3,400 bucks. Like if he's actually the number two in a game where they project to be down, you could do that. Jalen Ragor at 4,300 bucks. If he's actually going to be the number one in Philly, like that seems like a pretty good price. Yeah. And what about Miles Boykin? Man, Miles Boykin's a little thin, but if everyone plays Marquise and you think that Boykin's the clear two wide receiver there, you know, huge big playability from him. But and if you want better target safety as far as cheaper receivers in that New England Miami game, Preston you've got Nikhil Williams. Harry and Preston Williams, both, I believe they're both sub 4,500. Yeah, Preston Williams is at 45. The reports are Demir Bird, the Coco Beware of the NFL, is taking over for Nikhil Harry, who can't separate. Don't believe that for a second. But if all of a sudden, Demir Bird, who has a previous relationship established with Cam Newton from his days in Carolina, he's like a big play guy, uh, at least, that you don't need much from him. And he's like super cheap. Uh, but I just don't know how cheap you really want to go. It feels like once we get closer to the season that one of these guys is going to emerge. Like if it's not Jefferson in Minnesota, maybe it's BC Johnson. And he's 4100 bucks uh like i said paris, no, we're not playing bc paris I, I played bc last year it's gotta stop playing bad players i think that's that's really the the theme to all this but if you want to go to san francisco you could use trent taylor i would expect him to be used pretty highly out of the slot yeah so i mean the sub 4k options it really does drop off there's some guys you got taylor at 3900 i don't know if i'll be in on that but you know campbell's there jakeem grant for miami with but now they're Depending saying that Chester Rogers is going to be the slot guy. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just going to be tough to discern this group early. They, I don't see very many guys that would pop unless there's an injury or we're just get a surprise depth chart positioning from one of them. I mean, maybe in green Bay, um, but Lazard's going to be the wide receiver too. And he's pricey. So I, I think you can talk yourself into a lot of guys in the 4K range, but yeah, it drops off pretty steeply after the rookies in the low 4Ks. I like Ayuk, you know, Chanel, if you think he takes over early, Pittman maybe, Rieger, but after those rookies, you're asking for a lot for that to work out. Yeah, the only like two others that I would kind of give some credence to, I think Mike Williams is just being completely overlooked both in season long and on the week one slate uh, at 4,700 bucks. Just in my mind, and maybe I'm wrong on this, like when I think about Tyrod is that he's going to bomb it from time to time. And Mike Williams, not afraid to get open downfield and just win jump balls, contested jump balls. He's a huge body. Uh, he's one of these, like, you, you probably need like four catches for 155 yards and two touchdowns, but that's like in his range of outcomes. He's only 4,700 bucks or just no one likes the Raiders take rugs. Why not? Yeah. And that's goes back to, if you're high on a guy, long-term, don't overthink the volume short term, especially in a GPP and a guy of Ruggs' skill set that yeah, obviously he can break a big play. So I see that. My concern with Mike Williams, you know, he doesn't need a ton of targets to get there because, like you said, Tyrod's going to throw a few deep balls a game. It's just going to happen. But I just think that offense in general, more running, reduced pace, you know, not a ton of plays. I think things have to break super right. And they could if he catches two bombs, but. I think there are guys that just have more volume upside that I'd like to bet on in this range. But I do agree with you that the ownership's not going to be there. Tight ends. There's no Kelsey on the main slate. So it's Kittle at 72. Mark Andrews at 6,000. Darren Waller, hardly newer, at 5,900. Ertz, Cook, Henri, Hooper. Boom. And then it's like Gronk and the rest of them. It does seem like some of the quote unquote cheaper tight ends have been priced up a little to the like $4,000 range. Was there one that kind of stood out to you right away? Be like, oh, that guy's a great price. Chris Herndon is a phenomenal price. $3,300 for the starting tight end. You know, one of the guys, Evan Silva had established a run is really high on him. And you've got, if you look at the other receiving candidates there, obviously Crowder is going to have a lot of targets, but He's the only other guy besides Herndon that has some sort of history rapport with Sam Darnold. You know, Brashad Perriman's a new addition. Denzel Mims is the rookie who right now there's some questions health-wise with him, and he's a pretty raw player anyways that you might not expect to hit out of the gate week one. So I, you know, I just think that is way too cheap of a price tag for a tight end that's going to see targets. Because a lot of times when we're 
digging the bottom of the barrel. We're just hoping for a guy that might find the end zone, right? But Herndon's a guy that could see 10 targets down here. So he definitely jumps out at me. And Uzuma was the other one for me at 3,800. If he's going to be the tight end one in Cincinnati, that could provide a lot of targets because I don't know what's going on with AJ Green right now. Like if Green ends up missing time, which I don't know if he will or not, probably not, but like Auden Tate would become a better play. Like these secondary pieces would all become better plays. But other than that, like it's, it's tough treading. Ian Thomas. Ian Thomas. Do we, do we know that he's the guy though? Like you, you already said Robbie Anderson, who I think is going to be completely irrelevant this year. Like they just have so many guys and we know that Christian McCaffrey is going to smash. How much is left for everyone, especially because everyone likes DJ Moore too. I think he's, if you're talking to just pure safety there though, I think he's going to get you like four catches and be okay. I, I feel like there's more safe, super cheap tight ends than there are receivers with those two guys. But then it jumps. Then you start talking. I mean, when you start talking to Uzuma, you start talking Tyler Eifert. There's some guys that maybe you could convince yourself in tournaments, but you know, Sternberger, who now I'm hearing, you know, might not even have the tight end one job. Yeah, there really aren't a lot of, you really, you really jump up to like Goddard at 4,100 after Herndon and Ian Thomas, in my opinion. Yeah, Eifert is particularly interesting because Josh Oliver was just placed on season-ending IR with a broken foot today. So he is the tight end one in Jacksonville right now. So could work out. Uh, they're going to be down a lot. They're going to be throwing a lot. He has a nose for the end zone, as they say. You know, He also went to Notre Dame, the tight end factory of mediocre, like, giant white tight ends. But 3300 bucks is a pretty good price tag. The other one that I was like initially stuck out to me just because people love him in season long. He's only 4300 bucks. Everyone loves this Falcon Seahawks game. Is Hayden Hurst going to be the most owned tight end on the slate? Yeah, I think he's going to be very heavily owned. I, I think Gesicki too is going to be owned quite a bit at 4500. I think those two guys are going to soak up a ton of ownership. You know, the early builds, especially if you think McCaffrey is going to be chalky, which it probably is going to be. You just can't really pay much more than those guys. And then those guys at least feel a lot safe. Like the combination of safety and upside there feels a lot higher than the sub 4k guys we talked about. So yeah, most ownership, I believe to those two players. At quarterback, Lamar is $1,100 more than the second highest priced quarterback who is Russell Wilson against Atlanta when you were doing your deep dive on ownership at quarterback you probably don't need to take like the fourth hour $4,700 quarterback if you don't want to but I would think that allocating so much of your salary cap to the very top end in certain stacks I think you could probably make it work with Lamar and Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews that kind of stack and then bring it back with like Beckham or something that's all your salary cap now you need like scrubs at every other spot just spending up a quarterback seems like a terrible idea yeah and that was what we found was the field spent up at quarterback more often than the top 10 teams the teams that finished top 10 in the million maker. We looked at the million maker results from the last three years and compared the teams that finished in the top 10 and all those large field million makers to the teams, to the, the field at large and spending down at quarterback, you know, 38% of the time, the field spent on a sub six K quarterback, somewhat an arbitrary cutoff, but the top 10 teams did it 46% of the time. So they're doing it quite a bit more frequently. And I don't think you have to use 6K as a hard cutoff because each week's different. The pricing algorithm's not necessarily always exactly the same, but the idea is one, your quarterbacks and Lamar and Mahomes at times are exception to this, but quarterbacks in general, they don't separate a ton in terms of ceiling. Like you're going to see the separation at running back where an 8K running back just dwarfs, you know, a 5k running back in terms of the volume that they're going to get. Like he just, the 5k running back can't just create that volume. Whereas a quarterback is seeing all the team's pass attempts, or if he's got some rushing ability and especially with the 300 yard bonus, you know, almost anyone in today's day and age can get there. So definitely skew for going a bit cheaper at the quarterback position. Yeah. I think uh, I would kind of pass on all of the top end options. Maybe Kyler at 64 would be my starting point potentially of where I'd be really interested in some of these guys. Stafford at 62 cam. I just have a lot of love for at 61. It seems like a good week to roll the dice on him against a bad defense. There's an unknown people don't want to play him maybe he's cam newton all of a sudden he puts up 40 DraftKings points other than that like Minshew and burrow at 58 uh Minshew with his running ability i think 
can kind of go off, especially if they're always in garbage time, like against Indy. Burrow, we just have a bunch of unknowns. That I, I do project the Chargers to be a pretty good defense, but if we keep going down, 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 the only one that really kind of does it for me, I guess if he keeps the job, is going to be Dwayne Haskins, and only because he's at $5,000. I'm, I'm into Tyrod. You know, I talk about fading the Chargers, but I think it's because Tyrod's going to take up a lot of plays on his own, you know, rushing the football and at 5,600 to get a QB that can run like that. You know, one of the exceptions to really not having to stack him too much if you're talking more cash game type stuff, I think he's fine. It is a little bit tougher to stack him in tournaments though. But Jimmy G, I like a lot too. Like that's going to be a contrarian build. If you get off McCaffrey so you can pay up for Kittle at tight end. You can double stack Jimmy G with Kittle and Ayo can bring back Christian Kirk. I think that would be like a huge leverage stack. And Jimmy G has been really efficient the past few seasons. Now, some of that's been because he's been coddled a little bit, but I think Kyle Shanahan's got a really good system in place. And both Baltimore and San Francisco, they just ran so pure in the regular seasons the last year that they ran so heavily and I know they want to run heavily. They're still going to be run heavy teams, but I would not be shocked. In fact, I'm really expecting both those teams to regress a little bit in terms of how rush happy they are just because I don't think the game scripts will play out as nicely. Defenses. Like you said, you probably just want to fade the chalky defenses and just hope for the best because so much of this is random. You know, one pick six. The way that I approach defense, by and large, and this more translates to later in the year, is just look at adjusted sack rate. Who are the teams that are pressuring the quarterbacks the most, facing off against the teams that are going to try to throw the most? That generally leads to the most DraftKings points and fantasy points, by and large. Whether it's a good defense or bad defense, I don't really give a shit how many points that teams let up. I'm not looking to pitch a shutout to get my points for fantasy defense. I'm looking for sacks. Bad decisions, turnovers, hopefully a pick six going the other way or a fumble six. Like all those things kind of correlate to each other. The Chargers, I know I say I like the Bengals, uh, but week one, rookie quarterback, everyone on the defense for the Chargers are healthy. They're 2,800 bucks. They might end up being the chalkiest defense. I don't know, but they seem like the best play to me. Yeah, they're a great play. I also like, I mean, the Patriots seem chalk, like 3,200. I'm really shocked they're not more expensive. You talk about a home favorite against a team with a bad offensive line that's going to have to throw a lot, you know, that ticks all of the boxes for me. And I really expected them to be more like 3,600 plus. I guess the other one, um, I don't think that the Bucks are going to be very good. So maybe the Saints for me, they're priced down. They have an attacking defense. They're 2,400 bucks. Like maybe everything is just not all gravy in the land of Tampa with Tom Brady and all of his new friends. Maybe they're just not good. Yeah, I mean, the Falcons at home, if you want to roll the dice, you know, Russ does take a lot of sacks from time to time. You could just rack up some sacks and maybe get one lucky play there. But in general, the correlation of price to fantasy points at the defense position and the correlation of ownership to fantasy points at DST is way lower than all the other positions. So I know there are some outliers here and there where we just feel like we have to eat the chalk, but by and large, it just doesn't make too much sense to take very popular defenses in tournaments. It's, it's too unpredictable of a position for you to not take the free leverage of having something random happen with whatever defense happens to fit. Sometimes it's that simple. Let's talk about the new DraftKings best ball product that you can play. You've been doing a bunch of drafts right now. And the first thing that you told me is that uh, a lot of fish in there that you can really <laughs> get over on a lot of the people who are playing. So if you're good at best ball or good at drafting, you do see that there's a substantial advantage right now. Yeah, we have DraftKings best ball rankings up at Establish the Run that you can look at. And Adam Leviton also wrote a positional allocation article. And when I mentioned you know, softer games at DraftKings. Some of it is people just don't know how to allocate the right number of players to each position and how that changes based on who you draft early. And best ball is very structural. You know, you need two to three quarterbacks, two to three tight ends. You know, if you take Travis Kelsey early, there's some more flexibility in taking elite tight end because now you only need two tight ends total on your team. Uh, whereas if you don't take your first tight end until round nine, you're probably taking three tight ends. And just understanding the ins and outs of that roster construction, you can have a big edge, even if you don't have a huge edge on player evaluation. But I think 
if other league members are drafting off the default rankings, you know, they're going to have trouble and that's going to leave you some really good values in the DraftKings best ball leagues. Uh, much like week to week season long fantasy. I do think in best ball this year that we talked about hand, we've talked about handcuffs a lot just through the course of this conversation, but I do think that you should be drafting some of these high end handcuffs. And I truly believe you shouldn't be drafting your own handcuffs because that makes no sense, especially in the concept of a best ball format where you're just trying to have by far the most points. Like if you have Alexander Madison and Delvin cook, well, that's great, but it's a wash. If cook gets hurt now, if cook gets hurt, you know, that's great to have. But if you, let's say have Christian McCaffrey, and then you draft Alexander Madison. If Dalvin Cook gets hurt, you are just exploding up the leaderboard. Yeah, and I think it's really important in best ball in particular to grab an elite running back or two. But after that, you can wait and pound receiver. You know, it's full point per reception. So these mid-tier receivers are going to have a ton of value. And there's guys that are either handcuffs or just ambiguous backfields. You know, I've gotten Daryl Henderson. I was talking with Pat Corain, who I do best ball podcast with. And you know, he got Terrell Henderson around 17, which is insane. You know, this is a guy that should be going around 10. And even Cam Akers, if you want to take the rookie, the sexier option there, he could go around seven. You see Dobbins sometimes going around seven. So uh, Tony Pollard is someone who by ADP, you know, we're really high on it established to run. That's the best handcuff, in my opinion, out there in all of fantasy football. And that's not true. It seems like that's not true. It seems it's true. No, it seems Lata- like these Lata- types- Latavius Murray is the best handcuff. I Latavius Murray is a great pick. I, I like him in that range. And he's got some, well, what's nice about Latavius and guys like Latavius Murray and cream hunt are they have standalone value. So you can play them. They have enough of a role that they can give you some usable weeks as is. And then if something happens to Chubb, something happens to Kamara, these are guys that would be taken in the top 10 of your league. So I'm not going to argue there on Latavius Murray as much I- as I love Tony Pollard. I agree with you on Hunt. I don't necessarily agree with you with Murray. That's one of my favorite things about Murray and why I don't like Madison and where his price is. Although people have backed off that a little bit now was that I don't think that Murray's role in the Saints offense is good enough to play as a flex play in any sort of way. He might luck sack his way into a touchdown or two. Yeah, but in, be- in but, best but, ball. Yeah, I, I get I get that in best ball, but I, I'm more thinking of this from like a season long perspective, but someone like Hunt, you can play every week anyway. Plus he has that upside, but he's not being drafted as a handcuff. One of my favorite things about Murray in a non-best ball in a regular redraft is that you never, with Madison, because of the draft capital, you feel like you should play him as a flex where he is not a good flex player. You can just do better at receiver. With Murray, I'm never in doubt of whether I should play him or not. If Kamara is hurt, lock him into playing running back. If Kamara is in, do not play Latavius Murray. It feels that simple. Yeah. And in managed leagues, you know, it's a little bit different, but in general, I think the point is you can grab a stud running back or two. And then where I'd normally say, get your third, fourth running back in rounds four or five, like just absolutely load up on receiver. And you're going to have some of these dart throws available to you at way cheaper costs. than they're going in any other format that I've seen. All right. Anything else you want to mention about the DraftKings best ball that you, you like? I did just hop into a high stakes league with Pat Crane as my co-manager. We're taking on Colin Drew and Davis Maddock in that one in the 1K game changer. So looking forward to that. Started off with Saquon Barkley out of the three spot. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, but in general, you know, the best ball leagues are a lot of fun. Uh, Crane and I will have a podcast dropping with Peter Jennings where he goes into a lot of the strategy in the three and six man game. So if you want to do leagues where you have a better chance of winning and the strategy is a little bit different and you can just fire off these drafts, a ton of them, like if you're bored, you can fire off a three man draft in like 10 minutes, you know, make sure to tune into the established the edge podcast to hear our thoughts on those leagues. All right, cool. Mike Leone, establish the run.com at two hats, one Mike on the Twitter box. Thanks for being on, man. It was nice talking to you. Yeah, it was great. We'll have to do it again uh, once the regular season rolls around. Yeah, so congratulations on your new role. I know you're excited. Uh, You're back to being more of a data scientist these days than a content guy, aren't you? Yeah, I get to mess around with the data a lot more. You know, we just launched uh, or announced the Slack analytics group, so I can really nerd it up with a bunch of fellow nerds. So uh, that and just more macro strategy content. You know, I've written about some best ball strategy, like the hyper fragile running back approach, which uh, you know, can apply to best ball. And there's a lot more dynamic strategies you can try in best ball. And I enjoy that content a little bit more than the grind it out, just play stuff that can 
yeah, it would just be tiresome. And also the shelf life on that's not as long. So I'm really enjoying my new role with ETR. All right, go follow Mike right now. You know Mike's been on this show for like the past six years. We'll see more of him in the upcoming future. And if you want to see more of me and the Pat Mayo experience, all the football content, all the golf content, all the cussed corners, all the UFC content, everything that we do, go to the description of this video or podcast and subscribe to the Mayo Media Network right now. No content up there at the moment, but very soon. That is where this show will begin to populate. So you don't want to miss out on that and fall behind the times. Also subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Go play on DraftKings. Smash like button for the video. That'll do it for me. The draft kit also in the description along with the updated rankings and all the strategy shows. We'll have more coming out too. We got win totals. We have prop bets. And we have week one. It's coming very soon. We're going to have full content back for you for NFL season. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you for watching. I'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.